0: all right everybody welcome to voiced by matt i'm matt bertho and i am on a search to find the coolest voices in the world and one of the coolest voices in the world has been in my life since sixth grade he was my reading teacher and then older in life about 30 years old he became my therapist it got me through some really uh, traumatic events in my life. My, my grandfather um, killing himself and having uh, suicide. And then also some of my losses as a high school student, as a wrestler. Um, and he literally had me take a rubber hose and beat it on the ground to get rid of that one. Um, since then, uh, you know, he saw uh, something in me that I see in other people. And he's still in my life today. He's now my coach and mindful coach, life coach, uh, business coach. He's, he's a guru, Yoda, Jedi master, Mr. Dean Hall. He's been counseling for 43, no. Uh,
1: 31.
0: 31 years. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah. as you see, uh, you can't see it, but he's an amazing artist. Um, he actually was a middle school art teacher for a lot of his life, 20 years, and then saw the calling that he needs to help people because that's what he's the best at. So everybody give your claps, give your snaps to Mr. Dean Hall.
1: (laughs) That's one of the best introductions I've ever had. Of course, not too many people can say they've known me since they were 11 years old. Nope. So thank you so much, Matt. It's, You're welcome. It's been such an honor to see you grow into the man you are. Mm. Of course, meeting that little kid, you still had the spark in the eye even back then. And I knew you were going to be something special. Well, you were something special, but this, mm. is, this is just fun.
0: Well, Dean has quite a story. And I'm going to let him unpack a little bit of that about his beginnings, um, his vulnerability. And today's topic is love thyself on Journey 8. Journey 8 is an application that I'm a video content maker for. And that video comes out Thursday, February 4th. And so we're doing this podcast to kind of supplement, to unpack a little bit more of loving yourself and loving thyself. So, uh, you guys can run over to the journey, a app on Google or on Apple and download that app and listen tomorrow or today, or whenever you're listening to this podcast. Um, but, uh, also that being said, because I forget to do it every time I've only had two episodes, please subscribe to this podcast. <laughs> Go Absolutely. follow Dean at
1: swimming in miracles on Instagram
0: or Facebook or Facebook.
1: Yeah. Or my website. All right. Yeah. Instagram is where I hang out the most.
0: And, uh, please give a rating, uh, hopefully a good one and tell us a little something (laughs) about like what you got from this. Um, but yeah, Dean, let's dive (laughs) in. Let's, uh, talk about your story and kind of how you got into the counseling realm and Mm kind of go through your, your purpose. And how did you find your voice? Because that's the purpose of this show is letting people show their true selves and their true voice. And you are one of the strongest men I know. And also one of the biggest hearts in the world that has really Mm -hmm. helped me be able to show who I really am too. So Mm -hmm. that is, um, incredible that you're able to show such masculinity and also such vulnerability
1: wow the best introduction and probably the greatest compliment boy one two thank you so much i mean with all the different things i've i uh i like that better than world record holder so thank you very much uh yeah just to break down my story as simply as possible i grew up in Portland, Oregon, the son of two mountain climbers. And early on, I had what I felt was the most idyllic type of childhood a rambunctious boy in the 1960s could have. I probably just gave away my old age there. No one will believe (laughs) it. But, um, you know, back before... The women made their big push in the late 60s, early 70s uh, for equal rights. My mom was out there uh, climbing mountains with the men, Uh, Mm. just this little Swedish woman uh, stronger than any of us. And so really, until I was about 12, I feel like I had my voice. And my voice was uh, heard by my parents. I felt very loved by them. You know, I I get home. We spent almost every weekend up in the mountains or backpacking or hiking in Oregon in the 60s. I mean, it was virtually unexplored in many ways. We'd get out there and wouldn't see anyone for days. Mm. It was amazing. Yeah. Um. And then in in uh, my sixth grade year. I uh, was treated very poorly by a teacher. Uh, Looking back, it was psychological and emotional abuse. Uh, She told me, and I'd always been the good kid, so it was shocking to me. (laughs) Um, But for some reason, she singled me out and scapegoated me. And by October, somewhere in October, she told me if I didn't come back to school, she wouldn't tell my parents. Well, that kind of rejection was so I didn't know what to do with it. Wow. And um, we had a forest. Of course, it's Oregon. So we had a forest (laughs) right by my uh, elementary school. And uh, the hippies, I mean, it's the late 60s, right? Um, The hippies had set up a camp in there. And thankfully, um, even though I'm quite sure they were doing drugs and everything, uh, they they would let me go and camp out with them pretty much every day. Oh, my
0: gosh. And
1: they protected me and so that was kind of a gift so little
0: Um, little sixth grade dean would just roll out to the wilderness and hang out with the hippies in the tents
1: yeah instead
0: of school and but
1: feeling for the first time just intense shame because i i couldn't understand why she had told me not to come back i I didn't know what I had done mm-hmm. that was so loathsome that that I shouldn't come back to school, and then I had these two great loving parents that I was basically living a lie in front of and mm-hmm. hoping you know they wouldn't catch me um so it it was just a it was just a really hard year um yeah, and that's when I decided <laughs> I wanted to become a psychologist. Uh, you know, everybody else wanted to be baseball players in sixth grade and well, actually in fourth grade, I was kind of a nerd. Yeah. Uh, most kids didn't know how to say psychologist and, and I, that's what I wanted to be. And, uh, so that's kind of, uh, just, it really fueled that fire. I thought, wow, if, If this thing hurt this much, I can't imagine. I knew a lot of my friends were going through physical abuse. Some, I didn't know what to call it at the time, but I knew their dads were doing things that weren't right, you know, Mm. sexual trauma. Um, And so I knew that I wanted to do something to help. And so uh, I got really involved with soccer. Um, I saw really, (laughs) it kind of encapsulates my soccer career. Uh, an old guy was wearing it. Um, he said, the older I, it was a t-shirt and it said, the older I get, the better I was. And and that's, that's kind of it. I was first team all state a couple years in a row and played for the junior Timbers and they took us all over uh, Europe, And so I got a lot of travel and it's, it's really kind of what saved me from being a totally wayward youth mm. uh, because it, it was, I was so passionate about it and, and got to such a high level that uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get in trouble with the law. So, cause I didn't have the time or the strength. No. Yeah. And it's so yeah. awesome
0: that your parents supported you to do that to to go all over the world and travel, playing soccer, something that obviously you loved. Right.
1: Well, and they loved to travel, and they were the original adventurers. My dad was a little heartbroken because he and I, until I was about 14 and soccer took over my life, we thought my life's path was to become uh, a sponsored adventure athlete or a mountaineer Mm -hmm. Uh, because he had some friends that – Uh, different companies would pay to climb like Everest and that sort of thing. And so that's really what I wanted to do. Uh, (laughs) But soccer took over and instead of Everest on a lark, I had several different soccer scholarships, but I'd always loved church camp. Church camp was my favorite time of year, as odd as that may sound. Um, And this tiny little Christian college uh, offered me a full ride and told me, they had a championship soccer team. Um, and so I ended up going to a tiny little, cause I thought, well, I like church camp. So my freshman year, I'll just go to a year of church camp.
0: Yeah. You'll <laughs> hang out yeah. and meet some girls yeah. and jump in the pool yeah. and play outside. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
1: And to get it all paid for and play soccer too. Um, well, I got there and <clears throat> I, I felt like I'd been dropped on the moon. Um, it oh, was no. it was southwestern Kansas. Hmm. There were no hills, no trees, no rivers, no lakes, definitely no mountains. So it was, uh, it was flat, flat, and wheat dry. Yeah, and it, crazy dry. Yeah, and a culture that was so out of my element, going from Portland, Oregon, in the '60s to wow haviland kansas oh yeah uh yeah it was god's just, country it was just, yeah <laughs> yeah because only god wants it <laughs> um, but uh yeah so it was a real real shock and i vowed to never go back and it's a long story a buddy of mine decided to go back so i decided to go with him and uh the second year, that's when I met this cute little Kansas farm girl and uh, put myself in exile for love. And so I decided that even though I loved Oregon, I loved everything about it. I loved my family. I loved this girl more. And she said, you know, I love you, but I'm not moving back to Oregon. Um, I didn't go out there. You came here. Hmm. So I thought about it and made that decision and, uh, decided the most practical thing to do was not go to graduate school, but become a teacher first. And I never really thought about the sixth grade year being the year that I was abused, but that's the year I naturally fell into teaching. Oh, that's
0: so true. Yeah.
1: And, and the, uh, you know, I, being the quick guy that I am, I think I taught there five or six years before I thought, Oh, I know I'm so passionate about these kids and trying to give them a good experience and trying to be a good role model and try to keep them safe because I'm trying to save myself or at least make sure they don't go
0: through that. I want to jump in such a
1: pivotal year.
0: Dean was the cool teacher. And I had, I had two of the coolest teachers. Mrs. Watson Mm -hmm. was my homeroom. And then Dean Hall.
1: I think she's way cooler than I'll ever be. And then Dean Hall,
0: <laughs> I would go through the pod to his place. Remember, we, we, uh, one of the first books that we read was Treasure Island. Right. How about right. that? Me remembering that. One of my that. favorites. Yeah. Nice. Did well, I done. read it? Mm, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> anyway. I think I read it
1: to you. You probably did. You probably did. Yeah, those are good days. And then we'd play Black Spot.
0: Remember oh, that? Oh, Yes. Yeah. oh
1: yes yeah. out of treasure island you know if you got handed the black spot you were marked oh, for de-
0: death. so i remember yeah. my buddy dirk he did not want that he did not yeah. want that yeah. he wanted he'd give yeah. it a, he wanted to give it to somebody but he yeah. did not want but that. he didn't want to get he
1: no He don't want the black spot no
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: straight out of treasure island that's Heck funny yeah. hadn't thought about that for decades yeah yeah and so uh, taught for twenty years, but after about seven years into it, I remembered my calling of wanting to be a psychologist and thought, you know, seeing the broken-hearted kids, the stressed out teachers, the overwhelmed parents, I thought, okay. This has been good, but my original calling was to become a therapist. And so that's when I went back to Friends University. And uh, for 13 years, I taught during the day, ran home at about four, got a quick nap, ate a little bit, and then worked many times till 10 at night. And you coached soccer. Yeah. During my graduate school days, two years out of my graduate school, I would teach all day then coach soccer, then run all the way up to Wichita and study or do what I need to do and then do it all over for three years. I gave up one full night of sleep, uh, just to make it all work. And there were many times where I would get maybe one hour of sleep for four days. Mm. One time I did it for 10 days and, uh, I realized that's that's stupid because I started not hallucinating, but really losing my sensor and I uh, mm. thought, oh, yeah, I've, I've been up too long.
0: So finding yourself and finding your voice obviously was a giant journey that is just kind of beginning the uh, wavy rough parts coming up right. in the story. Right. And right. I just, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, especially with the coronavirus and the uncertainty of the coronavirus, <laughs> um, it's been hard because we've been with ourselves so much. Right. And, and, and with families, in close proximity so much. So, you know, as a marriage and family counselor, uh, 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 you know, a guy that has taught me hypnotherapy, you've taught me about energy. You've taught me about my voice. You've taught me, uh, about how to love myself and how to find my worth. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm Kind of go, go to the rough patches and tell them, you know, how did you deal with that? Like how, How did that affect you? What, what, what you went through? Because, you know, this having, having the courage to own our greatness, to own our worth is hard work, like putting the work in every single day, which you did. And, and that's why you've had such great success now is because you put in all of those years of hard work, um, and kind of undercover, because you, you did it, you were a teacher during the day and then superhero, you know, therapist at night. Hmm. And then eventually, eventually you got to turn into superhero therapist completely. And so talk about the flip, talk about, you know, the transition into, you know, the hard stuff that made you, you know, practice what you preach for the most right. part.
1: Yeah, I, I tell everybody... I went to graduate school for my degree, but um, for who I am, I went to the graduate school of hard knocks. Um, uh, and I I knew that suffering was a part of my uh, a part of life, and that it's really the way in which you truly grow. That that um, the the power inside of you is galvanized when you suffer. And, uh, I I felt like I'd suffered a little bit. Um, you know, there were heartaches, uh, Mary, because of her mom, my first wife, because her mom had taken a fertility drug in the late fifties, just to have her, she couldn't have kids. Mm. And that was a real heartache, especially as teachers. We watched, you know, teenagers uh, get pregnant at one time, Park City, the city that we met at, had the highest per capita um, teen pregnancy rate in the 90s of any place in America. So yeah, that, that, was, we, that was We joked about that swallow. a lot.
0: We joked about that a lot. We thought that was hilarious back yeah. in the day. Not not so much, not so much. As a
1: teacher and especially one dealing with infertility, it it was really hard to watch um, and be surrounded by. And so I had those kinds of things. And then building a business uh, can really stretch you sometimes. Uh, But it, it really started in 2007. Just a. A couple days before the start of 2007, right before Christmas, a couple days before Christmas, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And at first, they only gave me about six weeks to live mm. because I had features the oncologist never seen. It I had features of both acute and chronic leukemia, and he said if this doesn't if this doesn't stop because it's it's growing almost exponentially, there's nothing we can do, and you, you've probably got a month, maybe two. Um, and at that time, my daughter, we'd been fortunate enough to adopt a girl and, and she's just the light of my life. And she was 14 at that time. And I couldn't imagine leaving my 14 year old daughter, um, 14 year old Mm -hmm. girls need their daddies. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, man, I I've got to find a way. Well, I cleaned up my diet, did a bunch of things, faced it was really, really sick for a year. And then just kind of came back and got, it, it went to chronic. So I had chronic lymphocytic leukemia and the numbers all went in the right direction. By 2009, I'm really rolling again, doing well. I'd written a book, uh, teaching girls how to protect themselves from date rape. And it was starting to do well. I was starting to hit college campus and high school campuses. And, and it was starting to build. I thought that would be my life's work. And then Mm. Uh in the summer of 2010 especially August um Mary started getting sick and then toward the end her face dropped mm. and um she started losing her feeling so we took her in for a brain scan come to find out that she had the largest tumor uh the brain surgeon had ever seen and brain tumors are operable and uh, you know, you have a good result depending of course on size, but then how far forward they are in the brain and how high mm. and hers was very far back and very far down and it had a lot of tentacles wrapped around the brainstem. And they said, it's absolutely inoperable. And at most she'd have six months to live. She lasted only 52 days. Mm. Um, but uh, she died 15 days for our 30th anniversary and uh the ironic thing is by this time i was considered (laughs) kind of an expert on grief in the midwest i'd given a lot of seminars and asked to contribute to a lot of articles and uh i made every mistake in the book i just went nuts Mm -hmm. the grief was so intense and then you add on to it i felt like i had gambled my whole life on living in this small town and giving my life to this Kansas girl. Uh, and, and then she, she's dead. Mm.
0: Um, and it was, it was just too much. It was just too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the day that you moved, I was there Mm. and, uh, I, I still have your chairs The couch didn't make it. It's broke. Like it, it it didn't last. It didn't last in the office that long, but I still have your chairs, man. They're in my office still. Um, but I remember pulling away from that place and thinking, man, I'm never going to see Dean again. Like he's, he's gone yeah and the
1: possibility of that was pretty high because i don't know if i told you i wasn't telling people but uh, by then uh, the leukemia had come back and brought with it lymphoma i was already pretty sick but i didn't want to tell anyone uh, because i just it felt like i'd already lost so much Mm what was the use of telling anyone I was leaving anyway? I remember, so I, I remember
0: you told me, like, I remember you, I texted you cause I needed help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember we Skyped and mm-hmm. I was, I was up in upstairs in my, my room when we of my rooms and you were on this little apartment, like talking to me. And yeah. you were telling me about how are you going to go down to um, San Diego, I think, or down in right. California to, to right. meet with an um, uh, expert. And mm-hmm. that was, that was like the first moment that you told me, like, things are not very good. Right.
1: Yeah. I, um, I got so bad that I got damn. I'm, I'm six, one, six, one and a half. And right now I weigh about 218. It's kind of my fight and weight. Um, and uh, don't have a very high percentage body fat. Um, don't know what it is right now. But at the time... I was down to 158 pounds. Oh my gosh. Um, the biggest thing on me were my lymph nodes I remember particularly that. around my jawline. It made it hard to turn my head. And then I had under my right arm what my oncologist lovingly called my hockey puck. It was literally the size and shape of a hockey puck. Couldn't put down my right arm. And I was just really sick. And I was so sad and so depressed mm. that I didn't care. Um, I just didn't care anymore. And there was one day where I was, I got up, and I, I was just living in a dark little duplex. It was weird to be 53 and renting. Mm. Um, and I, I'd, I'd worked so hard. I'd built up kind of a mountain of money. That would have uh, lasted me pretty well the rest of my life. Um, And part of my loss was Mary's doctor bills. My doctor bills just wiped all of it. It was all gone. And I mean, it goes fast when you're, you know, almost dying three or four times, four times, um, and in ICU and your insurance isn't paying for it. And so I paid it all out of pocket. Um, Yeah. And, and so that was gone too. Everything was gone. I was Mm -hmm. stripped down and, uh, I got up, went to the bathroom and I accidentally caught my, I tried to make sure never to look at myself because I usually didn't recognize myself. Mm. Uh, all my muscles had wasted away. You could see every rib. You could see my pelvis bone. Oh my my God. Uh, I was just, I looked like I had walked out of Auschwitz and I accidentally caught my eyes and they were red rimmed and kind of swollen. And I remember thinking, "Who is that?" And he looks so sad. And I'd never really been suicidal, but I thought, you know what? I could let the leukemia and lymphoma take me. It uh, probably wouldn't last long, and nobody know. Whoa. Nobody would blame me. Um, and I've kind of, I've kind of had a good run. Um, I've done things that I felt were important. I've lived the life I wanted to. I loved. Uh, I built a business. I wrote a book. I think I'm done. And then it hit me. My daughter, it was 21 at the time. It just lost her mama. I thought this is an entirely selfish thought. Wow. I cannot do this. And if I can't live for me, I got to live for her. Mm. And so that's when I decided I got to come back and I got to find my voice. And I don't uh, know if many of your, probably a lot of your listeners have read Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. He was the uh, Austrian uh, Jewish psychiatrist that uh, ended up in Auschwitz, and he had a, a terrible experience there. But he found those that lived just by watching. Those that live held on to a dynamic purpose. Mm. And in my practice there in Kansas, I'd found if I could get people to attach passionately to a purpose, yes. they'd come back to life. And so I started asking, Who am I? How can I love life and love myself again? Basically, without using these words, Matt, I was asking, Find my voice. Mm-hmm and uh the first thing that happened was uh august of 2013 well i want to go I'm back i want to go back one sure.
0: second I, I think it's sure. important to just reframe what you just said right there because it's okay. something that i'm i'm diving heavily into with with my research in life is about mm-hmm, the power mm-hmm. of the voice um, right you said those words again say, say them again i i want I want to find my voice. I I
1: want to find my voice. I and, want to find a purpose, find who I am and find a way to love life.
0: Now, I'm I'm curious because I've never asked you this question. Did you yeah. say those words out loud? Uh well, I was by myself. Yeah.
1: and had been pretty much alone. Uh every now and then Bree would come visit me from college about once a month or so and one of the things she noticed is after I'd lived by myself I'd never lived by myself wow. I went from the college dorm to being married right never and from my parents to the college dorm I'd never lived by myself and uh, she found that one of the most annoying things was I talked to myself a lot so I'm probably pretty sure I said them out loud well and the other <laughs> thing
0: that, that I want to mention to everybody listening is I hope that you guys heard his burn or his passion was his daughter. And, and Mm -hmm. it's, and what's really awesome about that is it's not blood. It's his adopted daughter that he loves like his own, like it's, and it is his own. Right. And what's really cool Mm -hmm. about this too, is I felt when you said that whole thing, there was a sense of surrender. Mm -hmm. Like there was a moment where you were like, okay, I, I don't, I don't want to look like that. That's not me. I got to find myself. I got to find right. out who I am again. Right. Go ahead. I just wanted to make and that point. so
1: two things. Well, the first thing I started doing uh, is asking the right questions. I realized, you know, the brain by its very nature has to answer every question we ask. And I knew that. And so I started watching the questions I'd been asking for the last three years that had made me sick and so miserable. I was dying. The most, uh, critical one was why me? Huh? And you're never going to, you're never going to get a good answer to why me. It's just going to lead you more into victimhood and powerlessness. Yeah.
0: It's just like a giant circle. Just why me? Why me? You're not going to answer it.
1: No. Well, you're going to get answers, but they're really awful. answers. Yeah. Yeah. And so I changed it at first to why not me.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, then I started asking uh, God, the universe, life, whatever you want to call it. I just started prayerfully asking, what was I born to do? Mm. What if I do it, even if I die trying, because at this, th- this time, I thought I probably will die trying whatever mm. I try uh even if i die trying leaves my daughter with a legacy of courage and hope mm. and, wow. and so i just started asking Man. thinking thinking that i'd get an answer in a couple of days um 3 weeks later and it was still crickets but i'm stopping forcing myself i even put a chime on my watch and then on my phone random times during the day so i'd stop 5 times a day quiet myself And with all my heart, ask, what is my purpose? What was I Hmm. born to do? And nothing. Uh, So (sighs) I, uh, the first thing that happened was I opened up my laptop. I thought, well, if nothing's coming from the universe, I think I'll binge watch Netflix. (laughs) Um, So I'm, I'm opening up to binge. And there on the Yahoo homepage, they sometimes put famous quotes. And there was a quote from Albert Einstein. It said, there are only two ways to live your life. Well, that got my attention because I was searching for a new way to live my life. Yeah. There are only two ways to live your life. One is as if nothing is a miracle. The other is as if everything is a miracle.
0: There we go.
1: Well, in my broken, wounded, sad, sick state, it pissed me off. And so I cussed Albert Einstein out and slammed my laptop (laughs) shut. And I'm like, that little blankety blank 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 doesn't even know this kind of pain. Easy for you to say, Albert. Mm. Um, Actually cussing out loud. I do know I was saying that out loud. And then I thought, oh, I hope I didn't scare my duplex mate. (laughs) Um, he probably would be like, was...
0: What is your talk? What are you talking to Albert Einstein, man? He is way <laughs> long gone, he is not here. This guy's lost it.
1: It probably would have thought so. Uh, but it's what I call a velcro quote, it just, it just fastened itself to my heart and mind. Mm. And two days later, I'm still chewing on this thing, and it, it had gone from being really pissed off to a bit curious to thinking, Wait a minute. Yeah. This might be the answer I've been looking for. This might be what I've been praying for. And I, but it seemed so ridiculous. Everything, everything is a miracle, really Albert. And then it occurred to me, oh, maybe Albert Einstein was a little smarter than me. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I should take some time and give this a trial run. So I made the commitment to a two week trial run, everything. And I don't know if you know it, but Portland has been rated the number one worst place to drive in America now. The worst drivers. Yeah, uh, worst drivers in America. Um, And it shows. uh, And so even if somebody was texting and making me miss the light, rather than be angry about it, oh, this is a miracle. Or any little thing that was irritating or the big things, Mary dying, I got leukemia. It's a miracle. Oh, wow. Um, that takes a leap of faith. Man. Yeah. But I made it. And in only two days, I started to see the results. I, I wasn't feeling so heavy all the time. I didn't hate my life mm. all the time. Uh, and so, two days after that, the second thing happened that was very miraculous. <clears throat> and that was, uh, I thought, well, you know, while I'm waiting for life to show me what my purpose is, maybe I should unpack my boxes. I'd lived there for six months already. Maybe I should unpack my boxes. And make this my sanctuary oh, rather wow. than the hole I'm living in. Yeah.
0: Wow. So dang. I started unpacking. You, you, were just, you were just like, man, screw it off. I'm not going to unpack my boxes. This is just a temporary home right now.
1: Yeah. It, I called it the hole. Damn. Um, Damn! This was a hole I'd fallen into, because it really was. Even though it was a really nice duplex, it had nice finishings and everything. <laughs> it was just the state I was in, and a nice little two bedroom, about a thousand two hundred square feet. You know, it was just a nice little place. Um, but <clears throat> because of my emotional, psychological state, it was a hole. Maybe even spiritual state. But I thought, no, I can take my whole, I probably will never say that again, and and this this place I'm living and make it a sanctuary. Mm. And uh, so I started decorating. I, my grandfather had been a mountaineer and a pattern maker, and he'd made some of the first ice axes. And so I had these old ice axes that had been forged in the 20s, Whoa. hung them up on the wall because they had meaning to me. Uh, I got a, an old mountaineering rope that was still made of hemp.
0: Wow. Uh, that was
1: his and hung that up. And then some old climbing pictures and backpacking pictures of my family. And then Louise Hay said, uh, You should um, bring some living thing into your uh, place right as you walk in, like beautiful cut flowers. So even though it felt a little odd. Uh, For a guy to do this for himself, I started buying a dozen roses for myself every Friday at at the grocery store, just because they were so beautiful and they they were so pungent. As soon as you walk in, you'd smell them. And uh, as I'm unpacking these boxes, I come across a uh, journal that I never got to finish because it was started my sixth grade year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I thought, well, I wonder what the 11-year-old dean had to say. So I opened it up, and it, there were only two pages because I wasn't in sixth grade for very long. You weren't like it just writing like
0: a crazy man.
1: Yeah. It said, when I grow old, I gotta climb Mount Everest, swim the English Channel. And it was the first time I remembered, oh, my gosh, when I was a kid, I had a voice. When I was a kid, I felt good about life. Wow. When I was a kid, I was going to be a sponsored adventure athlete or mountaineer. I was going to be an adventurer. Life was still an adventurer. um, And I was going to go grab it like my playground. Mm. And I had forgotten that Mm. for
0: probably almost 40 years. Oh man. I think we all forget that. I think as adults, we, we get into like 27, 28 land and then it's like, okay, you're an adult. Your life's boring. Now watch TV, drink beer, eat Cheetos. That's it. Right.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's subtly and slowly groomed. Even I could see it happening in middle school. Mm. Uh, kids wouldn't do something silly because it, there was no purpose. They would not they wouldn't have fun unless it was for something or
0: achieved something. Yeah. Where's my and, medal? Where's my award? Right. What do I right. get? Right.
1: Yeah. And, and so they were losing their zest for life and even a bit of themselves in their voice. Mm. And so it sparked something in me. And I remembered who I was and I thought, you know what, before I die, I'm going to do these things. Oh, probably can't climb Everest. Number one, I don't have the money and I know it costs, you know, 10 to 15,000 bucks. Number two, with my, but I can find that, but with my leukemia right now, um, my blood doesn't process well and my immune system's wrecked and so climbing at altitude the highest in the world um probably not gonna work but i can swim the english channel and every time i think about it it just would light me up even right then you got
0: excited about it when you said it. oh
1: i just I, I'm feeling chills now Yep. when I, when I saw it, it was just like this huge energy burst wow. through my whole body and my heart just opened up and didn't ache for the first time in three years. And it was mm. like, Oh, Oh yeah. Oh, we're going to do this. Yeah. And so I, I called um, my oncologist and he was like, Dean, <clears throat> you get in a public pool It will kill you. Your immune system is so bad. Oh, wow. You couldn't handle it. And I said to the doctor, what do you want me to do? Die watching wheel of fortune, sit Uh, on a couch. I'm (laughs) not going to go out. I'm not going to go out that way. If I'm going to go out and I am dying, like you say, I'm going to go out trying to swing for the fence. I'm going to go out being totally me. And so that's what I did a week later. I got in the pool. And I really wasn't even scared in a lot of the podcasts I, I've been on since. I'm like, oh, did you realize you were gambling your life? And I'm like, no, my life already kind of felt over. Yeah. I, I just was going to give it my best shot.
0: Well, it, but you, when you, I pushed, you said you, you found your voice, you found your purpose, yeah. you found your burn, you found your right. why, you know, right. and, and you, it was attached to that that curiosity kid that went into the freaking woods and hung out with hippies and tents. Right. <laughs> no, for real. Like you, you yeah. found the spark. Yeah. And that spark, yeah. obviously you're here today on February 3rd, 2021. That spark right. ignited you. Oh,
1: in ways that I look back now and that's where the really, real healing began. Mm. And, Igniting that spark, I think, is absolutely essential to beating cancer. You know, I've got nothing against people who say, well, I'm going to fight cancer. Or there's even a, a mm. new group that's really big and doing a lot of good work that says F cancer. That's their name. Um, and it's it's. I'm not putting them down. But I think that makes you concentrate on cancer. And I think part of cancer The reason it's there for many of us, I know it was for me, I just started swimming every day and it was my therapy. Uh, The first time I kicked off the wall was really the first time I felt like me again for quite some time because I'd done a lot of triathlons in the 80s and 90s and so I'd done a lot, a lot of laps and uh, it just felt good. Mm. And not only did it not kill me, all my numbers started going in the right direction. I started building muscle tone again. I started feeling good. And I don't know if you know much about the lymph system, but it doesn't work on its own. You have to move and so the more I'd swim the more my lymph nodes would pump and pump out a lot of the poisons and um, I had to be careful not to swim too much because it would dump a lot of toxins into me and it I'd feel like I had the flu for a couple of days I remember uh, so, you
0: telling me that I remember yeah. you telling me that that's yeah. crazy
1: so I had to I had to kind of slowly build up but uh And I got really excited because I found out no active cancer patient had ever swum the English Channel. Uh, People had done it for uh, people they'd lost who'd had cancer and cancer survivors had done it after they were in remission, but no active cancer patient had ever done it. Well, if you've ever had cancer and been really sick, you can kind of understand why no one's ever done it as an active cancer patient. But I thought, well, that that'll be a first. And uh, one of my uh, majors is in world history. And so to think that I'd be the first person in history to accomplish something, I mean, that's pretty rare. So I thought, even if I die, my mm. daughter sees me really trying to do something.
0: Man, that's yeah. so good. That's so and good. And so
1: I uh, really felt like myself. I was finding my voice. Mm. And, uh, Along, you know, when you follow a dream and you start finding your voice, then life starts helping you and giving you a hand. And so I'm getting out of the pool right around Christmas and the thought occurs to me, who cares if another middle-aged man on a speedo and swims to France, it does the world no good. And in your case, Dean, it's not going to be a pretty picture. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, you're right. And so I started praying and asking what would be bigger? What would be better? What would be cooler rather wow. than, Oh, I'm done. I quit. Wow. What would be, what would be even harder? What would be bigger? And uh, the major, what I call Mama River in Oregon is the Willamette. It starts up in the mountains, uh, comes from south to north. It uh, goes through our state's capital, Salem, and then it winds around through the Willamette Valley and all the vineyards. And then it goes through our major city, Portland. I I was born only four blocks from the Willamette River. So it's really Mama River to me. And then that's it ends so cool. up it ends up in the Columbia. It's 187 miles long. Holy crap. And that's what I decided to do. I found out no one had, of course, no one had ever swum its entire length. And I decided to become the first. But when you find your voice and when you're living authentically and when you're really dancing with life, you don't wait. Uh, everybody said, Dean, be smart, go into remission first, get healthy, then do this thing. I'm like, absolutely not. I'm going to do it or die trying. Mm. So June of 2014, June 3rd, I got in the river and swam for 22 days in 40 degree water usually uh averaged about ten or twelve miles a day um took every Sunday off to let my body just kind of rest uh and um twenty two days later, I became the first person in the world in history to swim the entire length of the Willamette River in Oregon
0: oh yeah 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 and let's let's talk about the helium properties of what happened, because right that's something we've talked to quite a bit about and right. I, it's something that's gaining a lot of traction right now.
1: It is. Thanks to Wim Hof, Iceman. That's Man. right. That's right. Yeah. And I didn't know anything. I'd never heard of Wim Hof. I didn't know anything about cold water immersion. Um, I I did know it was the biggest obstacle to swim in the Willamette because the day I got in, it was 42 degrees. And even with a three mil wetsuit on, uh, I could, I, I had less than 6% body fat at that time. Um, and so even with the three mil wetsuit, 45 minutes to an hour was all I could swim before I started going into deep hypothermia. Mm. Uh, and so I'd have to get out, I'd swim for an hour and get out. And have to do jumping jacks or burpees or something, (laughs) run in place to warm my body up. And then I drink hot tea, eat a little bit and get back in and do it for another hour. And I do that anywhere from five to eight, 10 hours a day.
0: Yeah, and it, it was really cool. I remember following you on Facebook during that uh, journey and seeing mm. your interviews with the different TV crews and yeah. your, your dad was with you, right. and your, your daughter was with you, like mm-hmm. it was just mm-hmm. a really cool family experience, you know, supporting dad.
1: Yeah, in his he, dream. Yeah, it was crazy, Um, and that's another thing, when you're really authentically being yourself and living your dream, life hands you, at the time, what seems obstacles like obstacles, but they're really not yeah. right about a month. I had about six guide boaters because when you're swimming, especially a river, you need a guide boater because when you're in swimming, you can see about 10 feet ahead of you. If your goggles aren't foggy and about a half a mile in front of you, but danger always comes about 20 or 30 yards. And some parts of that river were moving pretty swiftly. And if you've got even a half a mile, if you study the dynamics and the physics of it, if you've got even a half a mile an hour flow and there were a lot of log jams, you know, uh, uh, the Willamette's heavily forested and it's wild. And so it's particularly at the upper Willamette. We had to maneuver a lot of log jams and a lot of what's called strainers or snags where a log's in and the branches are down. And if you get sucked under or you get pressed up against the log, it creates about 2,000 pounds of pressure. You're not Mm. getting off of that. And so there were some real dangers and you need a guide boater. Well, all my guide boaters dropped out. I thought, what am I going to do? I thought, well, if I have to pay somebody every day, I'll do it. I'm telling this to my dad. And he's like, no, I'll do it. I'm like, what? He's like, I'll be your guy boater. And I'm like, dad, you're 79 years old. Wow. This is going to take probably 20 to 25 days. He's like, no, I'm I'm in. I'm like, Mm. dad, you've never kayaked in your life. And he's like, I've done a lot of other things. He's like, I can do this. And so What I didn't realize was one of the coolest parts of that journey was the healing between my dad and I. We got Mm. to spend 22 days together and really two months where we're planning and doing practice swims. And we spent so much time together and not only together, but doing this adventure together and on the water that it was just something we will always be grateful for.
0: Well, and I think in a way you let him have his voice and, and yeah. be the father that he always wanted to be for you probably.
1: Right. And didn't get to be because I left home when I was barely 18, didn't come back till I was That's sick so and awesome. 52. So
0: yeah. Well, it's and, really and cool because you have, you have dad, you have Dean, you have Bree. Right. Right. I mean, it's like these generations, yeah. three generations of family yeah. doing this thing together. Right. Right. Like, it was, it was beautiful. Priceless, man. It like,
1: was, I couldn't have scripted it better, but no, the thing that I didn't know was the greatest obstacle. The constant hypothermia was slowly super fueling my immune system and killing the cancer. The first blood test I took after, I knew I felt great. Um, and I, I beefed up even more um but the first blood test i took after the swim was done the leukemia a type of leukemia that you read all the books and talk to any oncologist they tell you it will never go away mm. it is chronic you will live with it the best you can do is manage it but it will never go away and it was gone mm. and my oncologist is world's number 3 his name's Juanario Castro he's down at university of california san diego and he's written the textbooks on it. And he said, I've never seen this happen in 30 years. I've
0: never seen this happen. Where's yeah. the miracle? What's the miracle in this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you, yeah. You, you, you had the miracle happen to you.
1: Right. And the second great miracle in it was I'd never heard of the blue mind, the theory of the blue mind, Wallace J. Nick a marine biologist, noticed that when you're on the water, any kind of natural wild waterway, be it the ocean, be it a lake, be it a river, Mm. um, something happens to our mental and emotional state. And he started studying this and then wrote a bestseller called Blue Mind. And I'd never heard of it. Uh, It is now becoming the go-to treatment for trauma. They're getting army vets who've seen combat to kayak or surf or fly fish, get on the water. And uh, the day I got in the water in 2014, I couldn't say Mary's name without crying. Mm. The day I got out, I was telling stories and having a good time and talking about her. And everybody looked at me funny. I'm like, what? They're like, we haven't heard you say her name for three years. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, and I noticed a lot of the trauma was just naturally gone, but I hadn't known why until I read that book. So my healing, uh, mental, physical, emotional, I believe spiritual, came from Mama River and my time on there. I believe if you follow a dream, if you make your greatest pursuit to love yourself, to love life, to find your purpose in your voice, naturally, the outcome of that is life will lead you to healing.
0: So, Dana, man, that is one of the most incredible stories, you know, and I've I've heard it a few times. Yeah, probably
1: too many times. No, but it's, <laughs> it,
0: you know, I, I think uh, the hardships, the struggle on your journey, um, because, you know, you're still on the journey. And, right. You know, you're, you're planning new journeys and, yeah, you know, funny, it's yeah. incredible. Um, but I think for me, you know, I, I tell this story a lot when I was so overweight. Um, I remember coming to your office. I'm never going to forget this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And you looked at me and you said, Matt, I don't, I don't see what you see. I don't see this fat guy that, that you keep you know, claiming that you are. I see this guy that's this, you know, physical muscle man, like that's mountain man kind of guy. And of course, I was not that at all. But be, because you saw that in me, you know, there's that seed that you planted, being the amazing therapist that you are. That as I got older, I think uh, um, it was when I turned 30 or 31. I tell the story I was watching Stranger Than Fiction and it was it's about this lady that writes this book that Will Ferrell's the character and she's gonna kill right. him off. Right. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You can't do that. I don't want to die. It's not my time to die. I want to live. And I just start mm-hmm. bawling immediately. I remember I told you that in our therapy session. And I remember you were like, Well, what does this mean, Matt? And I was like I don't know what this means. And you're like, no, what does it mean? And I remember I, I, I wrote on Facebook, literally the, the, the next day or the next week, I, I wrote, wake up the run. And I remember we, we would go round and round about the run, about, Matt, you can't run every day. I'm, yeah, I'm going yeah. to, I'm supposed to, <laughs> like this is what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, now I'm, this is crazy, but again, where's the miracle in this, right? Right. Right. So I lost my father June 20th and you Mm. helped me tremendously through this, Mm. but I think we've talked about this. If we haven't, this will be fun to say out loud on this podcast to you because on June 20th, 2021, it will be 10 years of me running every day. Wow. So June 20th, 2020, my father passed away. June 20th, 2021, will be 10 years of me running every day.
1: Every day. Boy, talk about
0: proving me wrong. <laughs> Nicely <laughs> but done. But what, what, I, what I want to say is that internally, we have this spirit, this mm-hmm. voice, this intuition, mm-hmm. this God, mm-hmm. the universe, energy, mm-hmm. frequency, whatever you want to call it, but it's this right. tug, this pull. And mm-hmm. for, for you, it was like the universe had to slap you around a little bit, a lot. A lot. And go through <laughs> hell. And mm-hmm. the worst things, potentially, a human could go through. Mm-hmm. Losing a spouse. Yeah. Getting cancer. Dying yeah. almost four times. And then mm-hmm. taking on something that you probably, because you didn't say it, but I know it's with this kind of a challenge, you had to be a little scared. A, a little yeah. bit. Sure.
1: Yeah. Every day. It was scary and um, but I wasn't scared during the Willamette swim because I honestly thought I was a dead man walking or swimming. My second swim in Ireland, I in 2017, I wanted for Brie what I got because she was so busy. She got to pop in and see some of this, but she didn't really get to experience the 22 days on the river. And by 2017, her grief was really hurting her. Mm. And so I wanted to get her on the river for a while. So I thought it'd be a great idea (laughs) to take a 24 year old girl, put her in a kayak and make her, be responsible to lead me safely for 180 miles down the longest river in Ireland, the Shannon, Uh, (sighs) even though she'd never been out of the country. Um, Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Man. Great, great idea. Right. Uh, But it was scary. And at this time, this is when I was scared because I put us in such harm's way and it was so much more difficult than swimming the Willamette because almost every day we had a 20 to 25 mile an hour headwind and we encountered a series of lakes, two of them so long and so wide, they're considered inland seas oh my and gosh. many people die on them every year and we got blown off of them several times. So that time I was really scared. Mm. Uh, And because I was scared that I was not only going to get hurt, but more importantly, that I was putting her at risk. Um, So, yeah, that's when I really decided that uh, the best way to beat fear is to first love life. And then secondly, just make life very simple. Take Hmm. the next step. Hmm. And one of the things I found is I always knew what the next step was. And since then I've offered that to hundreds of clients and even the suicidal ones know what the ne- next step is. And once you concentrate, fear comes from getting way ahead of yourself and predicting some awful outcome. Hmm. When you concentrate on what's the next step, Oh, you're you still feel it a little bit, but you're not nearly as scared and you're able to move forward then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I told you Sunday in our coaching session, you know, I'm going to climb the equivalent of Mount Everest. Yeah. And, uh, that, that advice that you just gave to everybody listening is gold because I find myself now saying to myself one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time, Matt. And, and I think for us being coaches and helping people, it's one person at a time too. Oh yeah, sure. Right. Um, So, man, Dean, do you have some tactics that you'd like to share in this uh, short amount of time that we have left with the listeners to kind of help them um, embrace their voice or if they're going through a struggle to know that it's a part of the journey? Um, I think, you know, a big hot kind of thing right now is not having expectations. Yeah. Um, But...
1: And that's hard for many people to differentiate from goals because goals are real golden expectations. Um, so it's pretty hard, especially when you're down in the pit like I was to differentiate the two. Wow. Um, and so I'm, I'm not as big a fan of that. What I am a big fan of, and it's been a 100%, Matt, for anybody that needs to learn their voice Uh, And to change the way they look at themselves is to do what I call create a courage timeline. Go back as far as you can and look at every time you've ever been scared, but then found a way to follow through. And that takes that follow through took courage. And what happens is the subconscious is kind of crazy. It will only concentrate on what you're concentrating on. It will delete all other information. And what I've found in the 31 years that I've been working as a therapist is we all have this legacy of just solid courage. I mean, it can be as simple as I was in the second grade and I had to stand up in front of the class and I was scared to death, but mm. I did it. And I showed my pet turtle, okay. yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And so you mark that down and, and you you know, maybe there was a time your parents told you not to do something, but you knew you just had to not something bad, but, you know, they told you not to go to college or not to do this or not to go out with this person or whatever. And you did, and it turned out well, or you were scared to start that business. And you did, even if the business failed, um, you were scared, but you did it. And mark those down. And what I've found is people will find they've got scores and scores of times they had courage to take that next step. So that's the first thing is is recovering your legacy, kind of retrieving your voice. Yeah, I yeah. love that. And then the second one is just follow your dream have any, and most of the time, a a big dream will equally, you know, it's big enough when it equally excites you, just lights you up like that rush that was in my heart. Just when I thought, Oh, I'm going to swim the channel and terrifies you. A lot of people that I meet, if they get a dream that terrifies them, they think, Oh, I've got the wrong dream. It's supposed to scare you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've heard you say that to me many times. No, nah, Matt, mm-hmm. are you are you sure about that? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh mm-hmm. man, here he comes. He's coaching me up. <laughs> I feel it. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. Man, you guys like Dean's gonna be back on this podcast for sure because there's so much value that Dean has that. You know oh, okay. he scratched he scratched the surface, guys like he mm. he uh if you're looking for someone to help you with your voice, reclaim your legacy, Dean Hall is the guy. Um, oh, he's got thank a you, lot man. no, it's true it's I mean, mm. you know, this is about. Finding your voice. Uh, I mean, I love listening to Dean talk. We've joked a couple times that his speech pattern reminds me of JP Sears, the comedian. <laughs> and I think it's just because JP's from the Portland area, I think. Is he? Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but man, Dean, you're brilliant. You're a genius. You're a man's Aww. man. And I know that uh, Dean and I have been talking about some cool opportunities coming up in the future, spending some time with Dean and I on yeah. a, a couple events. And so we'll be looking, we'll be looking out for that. Um, is there anything that you want to leave the audience with tonight? Uh, some encouragement about loving themselves, about mm. embracing their inner truth of who they Mm -hmm. really are Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. yeah absolutely i can promise you that it doesn't matter how many times you failed how awful your life has been how much you think you don't have to share with the world uh those things are absolutely wrong Anytime I have ever worked with anyone that they've had the courage to just try and move forward and find their passion again, if they don't quit, they find it. And then not only do they find it, they become passionate about it. And that passion heals their minds and bodies and adds so much to the world we live in. We all have something we were born
0: to do. Mm. Find yours. Find your voice. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Well, everybody, uh, this was an awesome, awesome, awesome time spending time with my coach, Dean <laughs> Hall. Um, mm. Please follow him on Instagram. Um, reach out to him. Send him a DM. Yeah, please. Please. Um, I'd love that. He, he uh, He's... He is... Uh, tell him what you're going to do next, the, just real fast. Well,
1: I, I, we're working on a documentary, and so hopefully... I'll go over to the UK and swim another river, not to be named yet, um, just so somebody doesn't jump in and start swimming today. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to work with the film crew, and then hopefully uh, go down to New Zealand next January. We're going to oh. do that this this January, but COVID stopped us, and so and swim their three longest rivers in a row, and no one's ever done anything like that in this swimming world. Mountaineers do it all the time. They'll they'll do three or four. It's a big thing to try to do uh, the seven highest mountains on the seven continents uh, as fast as you can, but no swimmer does that. All swimmers just do one and then they're kind of done, but I'm hoping to do three.
0: Yeah. And Dean is like, he's, I I told him when we started the podcast today that he looks like he's 42 right now.
1: (laughs) And I loved you for
0: that, Matt. (laughs) No, it's true. It's so true. Well, guys, you guys got the real deal talk of from Matt and Dean today. Like this is, this is how we talk all the time. Right. And you got the, you got the love, you got the heart, you got the, the mm. story, you got the inspiration. Um, and I hope that through Dean's story and hearing all the tragedy and all the tough and all the hardships that he went through and look at him now, he's better than ever. Um, he found happier his voice. Than ever. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's happier than ever found his voice. He's married to a lovely, lovely woman. A
1: woman I will never deserve.
0: (laughs) What's her name?
1: Uh, Her name is Bobby. Yeah. Um, Bobby Parker Hall now. Got married uh, just a little little more than four years ago. I thought I'd never fall in love again. And then when uh, this beautiful fitness model and yoga instructor and personal trainer acted interested... I had to give it a shot and yeah. luckily I found out she's way prettier even on the inside <laughs> than she is the outside. So I'm well, a very they,
0: fortunate man. What a, what a power couple too, man. Like you got, mm. you got this lady that, that helps people get their health back and mm-hmm. you got you mm-hmm. that helps them get their mind and spirit. Right. I mean, it's like the best combo All right. ever. All right. Um, yeah. So again, we could talk for probably another hour, but Easily. we gotta, we gotta wrap this up because sure. I got to go to bed in a little bit. And, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, you know that. Of course, yeah. Um, but this is voiced by Matt and it, Dean Hall. Follow him on Instagram, swimming, in, swimming with... Swimming in Miracles. In Miracles. Swimming in mm-hmm. Miracles. And now you know mm-hmm. why swimming is in that title and why mm-hmm. miracles is in that mm-hmm. title. Bro. I just figured that out right now.
1: <laughs> and actually, it has nothing to about swimming the reason i entitled that was before i even swam the willamette i believe that once you start looking for miracles in your life you there's so many around you every moment of every day that you're just swimming in them Mm. so that's where that name came from. wow
0: dude that's even that's awesome Mm, all right bro we're gonna we're gonna like so so please subscribe to the podcast Absolutely. Please share this on your instagram uh, screenshot it tag dean tag me and Please. uh let's get this word out and uh help people find their voice and help people love themselves a little bit more so you guys Excellent. have a great day and we will see you next episode